remember making the recommendation. I was like, one of the things I'd recommend you do is like actually one of the most valuable assets you have is this car that your mom gave you. You could trade down, get something cute, mm-hmm. you know, use the proceeds to pay off all your debt and change your life in like mm-hmm. a week. And she wouldn't do it because she was so afraid of what her mother would think mm. as if her mom had like had some kind of emotion. I don't know if she did or did not. She probably did. It was the thought that no, I gave you, I gave you this yeah, car. I paid for this the car. The fact and then you that you it. would yeah. sell it and trade it in for something else, uh, she was just told totally against that. She would rather live or continue to live her life in debt. It was a very early indication, like of mm-hmm. like wow, like money and personal finance is so much more complex than just understanding the math. Like it's not the math. Like she understood what was possible, but she was unwilling to deal with that conflict. Welcome to the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Julian. And I'm Kirsten. And today's episode is about our obsession with cars. America. Yes. The land of milk, honey, and Gas-powered vehicles. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah, my family is a car family. Uh, we're from Texas, so you know, oil and know gas dependency. Texas is the is the explanation. I, I wouldn't. We're just blame a standard that. middle class family, and that's just what my parents did. They bought cars. We had a lot of cars. Yeah, I think that up. they're more than. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would just attribute it to them being from Texas. I think they're just also like a product of that generation and you know like the the, the 60s and 70s like that <laughs> I do think there is some geographic because when you talk about cars and how you're just like inherently not a car person it's like well yeah cuz you grew up in New York. That's a fair point. <laughs> like you didn't you didn't need That's a fair in Texas point. everything is like 100 miles apart. Yeah. That's not why they are car people but like there is something to like the convenience of being able to have a car. It's like a pet. Yeah. Like if you can have a bunch of pets, you probably will. Yeah, I've to your point, I've never been a big car lover. It wasn't like I have childhood memories of seeing people uh with cars other than and this is going to sound so cliché, but like drug dealers. Like those were the people that had really <laughs> nice cars. It's like it's like a scene out of a movie, but like that's that's really what it was like. And you didn't really see that that often either. Like most people, like obviously there were cars, but cars were not really status symbols like that or it just certainly wasn't as prevalent to your point as as it is or as I've come to realize that it is down here mm-hmm. in the south. It was not frowned upon if you took the bus or the train. Like yeah. everybody takes It wasn't like a the social train. signal. Correct. It's not like, "Oh man, you can't avoid a car." Like, you right. know, you get on a date and enjoy actually. Well, yeah, actually a car is, like is far more inconvenient. It's a nuisance. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. And so to your point, that's that's fair. I, I think part of that is 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 the geographic implications of where I grew up. Um, this is making me think about my first car. It's a little bit of trivia. So for those of us who've been listening and following for a long time, you may know this, but probably not. Who cares? My first car uh, was an Oldsmobile Achiever, which sounds crazy. <laughs> I've never even heard of it. It sounds car. crazy just saying it because like Oldsmobile is not a brand. I don't know when that brand went an out achiever? of business. An <laughs> Achiever? Achiever. Not Achiever. Achiever. Um, it was a two-door 
red and it was all it was red but like a burnt red like that burnt 80s red mm-hmm. and it was red inside and out like it was just <laughs> a blanket of like good old 80s brick red cloth leather it i always joked and said it was a five cylinder because one of the cylinders were busted uh, it was a six cylinder so it could rev it made a lot of noise but like it didn't really it always sounded like it was like you know struggling <laughs> but it, you know it went pretty fast <laughs> <laughs> my first cars were hand-me-downs like i oh, wow. like we like i said we've You're always right. been That's a, a car, car family, family. <laughs> wow so my parents would strategically plan to upgrade their cars as our extracurricular my brother and i's extracurricular activities increased and so they wouldn't have to give us rides so my first two cars were hand-me-downs one was a volvo and one was a gmc jimmy but then eventually mm. that died. <laughs> and so I got a brand new Honda Civic right before I graduated high school. What year? This was like 2002-ish. Okay. Yeah. So uh, because I was so used to switching cars every so often, because they would go from my brother and then he get a real car and then they, you know, the car he was driving would come to me. Yeah. Because I was so used to switching cars... I, and I had no idea how financing worked. I drove my little Civic until I graduated college. So all of like four and a half years. Yeah. And then I got my first job and then I went out and bought a brand new luxury leather seat, six disc changer, heated steering wheel, brand new Lexus. Right. Wait, and what year was this? This was in 2006. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, which to this day is one of the worst financial mistakes of my life. When I bought my Lexus, I leased it because the payment was lower. And again, I was just starting my career. Yeah. So I leased it, but then I didn't drive it like it was a leased vehicle. So when it was time to turn it in, I was basically upside down. I had mileage fees on there. There were some dings, some additional wear and tear. And so I ended up refinancing it to buy it because Mm. it didn't make sense to trade it in. But my credit was so terrible from all of the other bad decisions I was making. So you got a worse deal when you sort of refinanced it. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I couldn't get a reasonable interest rate. My dad actually had to co-sign my refinance so that I could get a reasonable, I'm using air quotes, y'all, reasonable interest rate. And I spent the next five years paying close to $600 a month for a car that I had already spent Four years paying six hundred dollars a month. So I'm I'm laughing only because I know you and like every time we sort of readdress this subject, I learn like one additional detail. And it just makes me think of just how dumb <laughs> young people are. And I and I know that sounds offensive. I normally throw like these. They're just unwise. In there. It, they don't have the experience. It is without question. I'm willing to bet if you were to just poll people, generally speaking, and ask, like, what are some of the worst financial decisions that you make? The vast majority of people, I, I'm willing to bet, would put, like, cars or expensive cars up there. Mm-hmm. You got, you got, got. Um, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it, it took cost me like you a lot of money. Nine and a half years yeah. to pay off this car. I paid for it twice, essentially. Yeah. And now you're in therapy over it, so it's, like, still costing you. <laughs> no, I still no, drive that thing. That's my therapy. <laughs> So we're sharing that story uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because it's always kind of funny. You got to laugh to keep from crying. But um, obviously a lot has changed since then. Like my my car buying stories are not nearly that detailed. Like it's like always my mom knows a guy who has a garage who bought mm-hmm. a car. Like it's something simple. Uh, a couple thousand bucks, straight cash, no financing. <laughs> and it's a, it's a hoopty, but it gets, it gets you around. But we had heard uh, that there were some things that were changing in the auto 
and auto financing market. And so we decided to do some research and just sort of like wrap our heads around like what's new, what's changed. Because we heard some of these numbers and it was like, wow, that is crazy because it's so different from what we uh, learned. And given uh, my experience, because I bought a car last year uh, and just going through that process, it was kind of triggering, even though at the time, like it was a relatively good experience because I had really good credit and all that stuff. So anyway, we wanted to share uh, some data with our listeners, with you all, so that you could understand sort of what's happening right now so that if you are in the market or so that if you are unfortunately in your 30s, 40s or 50s and you still haven't quite wrapped your head around why this might be a really bad decision, we're going to talk about that. So Bankrate.com, one of our favorite websites, very informative, tons of like data and calculators. Uh, they released this study that spoke about what they're seeing in terms of the auto and auto financing market and a couple of things, a couple of fun facts. Uh, the average monthly car payment uh, for new cars is now $667. The average monthly car payment for used cars is 515 So in general, these are record high. The, these are record highs in general. <laughs> kind of read them like the typical just to FYI. <laughs> American. The average monthly car payment for a new car six sixty seven for used cars is less five hundred and fifteen dollars a month. Also, thirty eight point two two percent. Let's just say thirty eight percent of consumers have financed their new vehicle. This is as of second quarter of this year. Uh, so thirty eight point two percent of consumers have financed new vehicles. Sixty two percent of people have financed used vehicles. So the vast majority of people are financing used vehicles and the average monthly car payment is around $515 a month. Also, uh, the rise of SUVs, right? I'm old enough to remember when like they were like a novelty. SUVs now make up over 60% of all new loans. So whether it's new or used vehicles, the vast majority of us are opting or choosing SUVs, which are more expensive, uh, in most cases, uh, not very gas uh, efficient. But I also think that in a way, it's like a reflection of like the average growth of homes, right? Like mm-hmm. our homes are getting bigger and so are our cars. Um, so that's interesting. Last point here is when you look at the total auto loan amount. So how much are people actually borrowing in order to purchase these cars? It differs based on your credit score, uh, but on average, when you look at everyone from people who have relatively poor credit scores to people with excellent credit, uh, the average auto loan amount for new cars is around $40,000, and the average auto loan amount for used cars is, I'll just round it up to around $29,000. So that's who we are. That's where we are in terms of the auto loan market. What say you, Kirsten? It's interesting to see that the auto loan market, the auto market is still thriving at a time where a lot of us are benefiting from work from home and remote positions. So the idea that we're buying more cars and bigger cars (laughs) when we're already in our gigantic homes and, and struggling to pay the the bills associated with that. It's, it's a really interesting dynamic. I do know that I have heard so many stories, horror stories from people who are in the market for a car right now. Like if you're in a position to sell your car, you're pretty pleased. But if you need a car, things are, they're tough. There was actually a journalist at uh, NPR who just did an expose on dealerships. He calls them stealerships, but he did an expose on dealerships because his truck was stolen and he found himself in a position where he needed a new car pretty immediately. 
And so he started the process to buy a new car and realize how shady the industry is and how it, well how shady the industry can be. Let me not generalize. Yeah. But I know at least one listener who is a used car salesman. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is not a. We're not talking about you. Bro. Yeah, we're not talking about you. But many dealerships are opting to add in thousands of dollars of markups, and it's simply because they can. Yeah. Because they are in these high demand and low inventory, you know, situations. And quite frankly, the automakers, so like Ford and and Lexus, they aren't happy with the franchise dealerships because there's all this excessive price gouging, which yeah. ultimately affects their brand. Anyway, to be fair, while the prices that you like called out are much higher than previous years, cars and transportation has always been a member of the big three. Yeah. It's always, you know, relative to overall income, expenses related to transportation and just kind of getting around have always had a top spot in people's budget. Yeah. I think it's just more troublesome now because of the rising costs of literally everything. Yeah. Especially when you add in the volatility of the energy market. I have it on top of brain because we just did that episode on the perks of going green. But the cost of overall ownership has gone up. And this is on top of things like student loan debt, mortgage debt, record credit cards, food inflation, education inflation. So it's just like another thing to something that's already like kind of sizzling. Yeah, I think your point around sort of this interesting uh, time that we're in where we are paying more for cars, even though uh, more of us are working from home, like is really telling. I remember when the pandemic first started uh, and I started thinking about this, I, I, I felt so bad. For those people, because like I, I could only imagine what it felt like to be unsure about the state of the world, to be unsure about your job, uh, to then also have like no break. Like there mm -hmm. was no relief. There mm -hmm. was no government intervention to say, well, you know, we're going to like there was all this talk about like people losing their homes. Right. Mm -hmm. And landlords, you know, applying for programs and all this stuff to make up for people who might not be able to pay their rent payments. There was no conversation to be had that I heard uh, for people who also had auto loans. It was like, nope, it's sitting there. You're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. We're literally telling you to stay at home, but you still have to pay five to six hundred dollars mm -hmm. a month, literally just to park that car in your garage. And yeah. if you got two of them or more, and we'll talk about that later, obviously it's even worse. Speaking of worse, it gets worse. And so when I think back to uh, the first auto loan that I had, shout out to Wachovia Bank. Yes, um, I was with Wachovia. A long time ago. Now Wachovia. known as Wells Fargo. Yeah, yeah. I think I financed that car for around four years. I remember it being like smack dab in the middle of the the, the acceptable range, which was like three to five years. Yeah. I remember feeling like five years. Like, no, I think I can afford it. I can do it in four. And I still probably made an effort to pay it early. I don't remember. But I do remember that. Uh, well, even that has changed. And so now the auto loan market, meaning the length of period or the typical period of time in which people are financing these loans has also gone up. Again, this differs on your credit score, but when we're looking at new cars and new car, used cars, it actually, there really isn't that much of a meaningful difference. But the typical or the average auto loan term length is now 70 months. Wow. I, mean, I remember when it was like 50 36. and 60, 36, yeah. 48, 48, you know? And now we're closer to almost like 
uh, seven years, mm-hmm. right? So like, it's really, really interesting. You've got this combination of people paying more uh, for their cars. They're obviously paying more in interest because they are willing to spread out the length of time or the payback period over a longer period of time. And it's just, it's really, really unfortunate, right? And we'll get into this, but this is why the term obsession is like in the title because like this very, uh, I can't think of another word to like really describe like how much we as as Americans believe that our cars are like a part of our identity and who we are. They say something about who we are. They're a reflection of how well we're doing to the point where we are willing to spend uh, huge sums of money and, and time in f- time like, to your point. Like we're, I don't even think we're going to get into this, but like, we're just talking about the purchasing of the vehicle. We're yeah. not talking about gas. We're not <clears throat> talking about maintenance or any of the other additional costs. We're just talking about the actual purchase here. And so when you think about that relative to some of the challenges that we know these same average Americans face, there's very, it's difficult for me to think of another word other than like, why are we so obsessed about cars? Yeah. Yeah, it's I, I do think that there's something to the length of a term of a of a loan term and your overall optimism on your willingness to be able to pay for it. And when people sign up for these 72 to 84 month terms, you're basically saying that for the next 84 months, you expect your income not to have any sort of disruption, which given the last three years, it's a big bet, right? Dude, and this I think- is in addition, like, I'm so sorry, right? <laughs> like, as I'm thinking about this, and you know, this is like mind blowing to me. This is in addition to everything else. This is yeah. in addition to student loan debt, which people are feel weighed down by. This is in addition to mortgages, in addition to credit card debt, and in addition to the rising cost of just about everything due to inflation. It just kind of feels like this is something that is voluntary, like purely voluntary, whereas some of the other things you can without question say yes, but there is some type of meaningful return that I might be able to or get a systemic from these things. problem or obstacle that I Correct. am dealing with. Correct. Right? This seems the like loan a voluntary was predatory when I got it and I didn't understand. Correct. Here, this is a this is a, a non essential good that has other alternatives Correct. to financing. Correct. That we are opting at higher levels than ever to to purchase. Which is why you see absolutely no government intervention whatsoever. Right. It's like yeah. well, absolutely actually no yeah like you know this is a choice you chose to buy up and now you're we're gonna hold you to paying it back yeah i think it goes back to the fact that most people are trained to look at their budget kind of month to month and they look at whether they're good at managing money on a monthly basis like did all my bills get paid on time yes therefore i'm good and that cadence of month to month is one of those rhythms one of those money rhythms that you have to unlearn as you really start to get serious about your financial goals because it allows you to zoom out and then you can see the future impact or in some case the the opportunity costs of some of the decisions that you're making today. Mm-hmm. So imagine a world where you didn't have this car note and instead you were spending that average payment of $667 to investments. We know what would happen because there's a world of calculators online. But basically, over a six-year period, assuming 8% growth, that same amount of money, $667 that was going towards paying off a loan, would result in about $61,000 that adds to the other side of your of your net worth equation. Yep. And if you took it 
10 years, right? Go beyond six years. You keep investing $667 that you're not spending on a new car. If you took it to 10 years, you'd have $121,000 at the end of that 10 years. After 20 years, you'd have $390,000. And after 30 years, you'd have $983,000, which you could buy 14 cars if you wanted to. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Because you have the cash. You could buy your own stealership, probably. Right. (laughs) Now, we know from Vanguard data that the median 401k balance of people 55 years and older is about $84,000. So when you compare that to what investing the average car note over a period of 10 years gets you, you can draw some really stark conclusions, right? You can basically see how our love affair as Americans, as consumers, and our overall dependence on cars is literally eroding our chances of retiring as millionaires. Yeah. And that that that's a that is a bitter pill to swallow. Yeah, and 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 I would not I would say that's not a stretch. Right. right. Like typically when we are looking at some of these stats and, and we're looking at it, I'm like, yeah, but like I can't really find a caveat here. Like it, it just very much seems like we are committed to this way of life and this is what we think is normal. And again, I like I'm not trying to like channel Dave Ramsey here, you know, because <laughs> yeah. like I don't want to like shame anyone or make anyone feel like like they're less than or but like this is one of those things that I think is without question worthy of bucking conventional wisdom and, and just saying, you know what, I refuse to be like to do these things. Like, you, you know what, honestly, you can do any of the other things. That's mm-hmm. fine. You, if like that's who you are, when you want to blame it on being a Texan or whatever it is. But like, this is just one of those things that I feel like most people should reevaluate because like, to your point, like this is very clear to see what the alternative could be. And even if we're not, I mean, gosh, you do, you talk about 30 years, like even just the 20 year mark, it would put you significantly ahead of the vast majority of Americans and open up a world of opportunities for you. But instead, many of us just prefer to look good sitting in traffic. Yeah. 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 Okay. So what can we do? First, and this may seem obvious, (laughs) but first is to focus on paying it off and riding an old car for as long as possible. Hoopty life. Hoopty life, right? (laughs) But this is another key that I learned from the NPR article. When it is time to get rid of your car, consider selling it separately and not trading it in. So trading it in is certainly easier than selling it directly, but in most cases it's going to net you less money. So the study from the NPR article found that dealerships tend to treat a buyer's decision to trade in their used car like a neon sign on their forehead that says, charge me more. Basically, dealerships use your trade-in as an indicator that you're either unsavvy or willing to burn cash. And so they just jack up the price of the car that they sell you. And the type of car that you trade in also gives them a wealth of information about how much they can charge and which features they need to promote in other cars. So if you you pull up with like all the razzle dazzle, they know that they're not even going to show you the base model of any particular vehicle. They're going to say, well, you're already used to this quality of driving. So like, let me put you in something better. Yeah. But yeah, to your point earlier, I'm still driving the car that I bought in 2006. <laughs> it's a little rusty, That's right? Not rusty. <laughs> it's not rusty on the wrong parts, but it does have some rust on it. You know, the the interior's peeling, the sensors are on the fritz, the battery gives me hell like once or twice a year. That's that is true. But I, I bailed you out a couple of times, more times than I can remember. But it's paid for. But it's paid for. It's paid for, and, and I, I don't rem- mind. It's fun. I- <laughs> I went to Bed Bath & Beyond. Can you come get me? 
I forget where you were last time. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I have AAA that I call first, but sometimes it's easier to call you. But I remember paying it off. I remember the last little $2,000 check that I wrote. I remember getting the title in the mail That's and that being my first time ever seeing like yes. a title. Yes. I remember all of it. Yeah. I was making less money when I was paying for this car, but the total cost of my car from the designer insurance that I had, I call it designer insurance because I was buying from one of them companies that can afford, you know, to run Super Bowl ads. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't some small, it had an app, it had like <laughs> instant service. So I had designer insurance, the car requires premium gas. So I was paying that. Even the little things like the headlights on the car, which aren't just light bulbs, like they are some kind of carbon filament or hydrogen gas. Yeah, like you had, they cost hundreds of dollars a piece. So if your headlight goes out, you you out for a couple hundred dollars. All of this, all of this was costing me 30 to 40% of my monthly income. I didn't see it that way because I could write the check and it would clear. But at the end of the day, when I would look back on the year and say, where did the money go? It was like, oh, I drove it. Like oh, yeah. it's 30, 40%. And that's what was keeping me in debt. That's what was keeping me making minimum payments on cards and not saving as aggressively as I wanted to. Yeah. So my financial life literally unlocked once I had that monkey off my back. And yeah. so the idea of paying off your car to see what it unlocks for you or riding in your old car for as long as possible. Like there's a reason that saying exists. Ride that thing till the wheels fall off. Which is just a saying, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you don't like, literally have to ride it till the wheels fall like, off. I think that's part of the fear that so many people have. Is yes, like, man, I don't want to be stuck on the side yeah. of the road with my wheels off. It's like, oh, that's not- <laughs> But even that, like with Uber, with five, well, in Atlanta, we have 511, which is like roadside assistance. But like, the likelihood, unless you're driving through the ruralest neighborhoods at the darkest of hours. Word, but, but okay. <laughs> I have two stories to tell, uh, and I'll try to be brief. One is actually of, of an ex-girlfriend. I remember when uh, she was given a car from her parents. It was very similar to you, like one of the hand-me-downs. And it was really, it was like a Cadillac or something like that. Mm-hmm. But she was completely broke, like totally in debt. And I remember making the recommendation. I was like, you know, like you could... One of the things I'd recommend you do is like actually one of the most valuable assets you have is this car that your mom gave you. You could trade down, get something cute, mm-hmm. you know, use the proceeds to pay off all your debt and change your life in like mm-hmm. a week. And she wouldn't do it because she was so afraid of what her mother would think mm. as if her mom had like had some kind of emotion. I don't know if she did or did not. She probably did. It was the thought that no, I gave you, I gave you this yeah, car. I paid for this the car. The fact and then you that sold you it. would yeah. sell it and trade it in for something else, uh, she was just totally against that. She would rather live or continue to live her life in debt, uh, which I just. It was a very early indication, like of mm-hmm. like, wow, like money and personal finance is so much more complex than just understanding the math. Like it's not the math. Like she understood what was possible, but she was unwilling to deal with that conflict. The second story I would say is of a former co-worker uh, who, and I think we actually wrote about her in the book, but we didn't mention her name, just to respect her privacy. But long story short, she heard a lot about what we were doing, um, had read some press, and she was like, man, we got to do lunch. 
And she was like so focused on like the real estate part of our story and mm-hmm. wanted to understand how did you get into it? How did you find the time? And I was telling her that I was spending a lot of time reading these books and these podcasts and that a couple of times a month I would go to these meetings at the Georgia Real Estate Association. And, and then she just like was so obsessed with real estate investing. And I was like, well, what is your goal? Like, what are you trying to do? And she was like, man, I just honestly, I just need like a couple hundred dollars a month. If I get that, then that pays for this, this and that. And then I'm good because then mm-hmm. everything else will go towards whatever. And I was like, well, why don't you just pay off your car? Like, why don't we, you know what I mean? Like, you, no certifications. You don't have to go to the other side of traffic and then worry about how you're going to get back to the other side of town where she lived to pick up her kids. Like, you, you don't have to learn anything. Like, mm-hmm. if you just paid off your car and committed to doing that, like, that just seemed to be a lot easier to me and would net her the same result than any of the other things that she was speaking about, but she was unwilling to do it. And so, again, we use that word obsession for a reason, because I think so many of us are really just like incapable of sort of thinking of lives where we are just riding or living, you know, with with uh, paid for cars. But the other option, uh, the reason why I recommended that for her is because she was a two car household. Mm-hmm. She had a car. Her husband had a car, which prompted me to do a little bit of digging to see what percentage of Americans were like her. According to Motley Fool, around 37 percent of households are two car households. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so like basically like one out of three, mm-hmm. uh, that number has not changed that much since 2015. What's more interesting is that 22% of homes uh, have three cars, and that's up around three percentage points since 2015. And so when you just think about, like, where we are, and, like, again, like, three-car households, I get it. Like, everyone's different, and everyone's going to say, well, my situation's different. My <laughs> city. One of those is my work You don't truck. know what insert city traffic is like. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I kind of do. I live in Atlanta. I'm just saying there are other options. We're going to get to that. But like these to me seem like very simple solutions to your point, selling the car or downsizing or any of those things. But like a lot of us just absolutely refuse to do it. Yeah. I think back to when I was growing up and we were a four car household for four a little car. while. Yeah. My mom well, had a car, my dad had a car, my brother and myself. And so like <laughs> getting out of the driveway every day was like a game of Tetris because it was just <laughs> like, and that didn't make any sense in hindsight. I appreciate it, but it's just like, wow, that's a lot of a lot of insurance, a lot of car notes. And it's triggering a, another thing because my mother had this, it was like a this huge status symbol for her. It's like to have, a, I'm not parking my car outside, mm. right? The idea of parking outside was like a, you know, mm-hmm. like a status symbol. Like, you know, no, I'm, I'm, I'm here now. Oh, you have a garage. I have a garage. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I I completely agree. Another option to getting rid of a car or something that you might want to consider if you're thinking about getting rid of a car is taking advantage of some of the newer programs that are available, like car sharing, which you can really think of as short term car rental. So similar to Airbnb and it being essentially a short term lease, Mm -hmm. car sharing is designed for people who want to rent cars for a short period of time, like a few hours or a day. And that's mainly how it differs from traditional car rental places like mm-hmm. Hertz and Enterprise, which charge you for the full day. So a lot of these car sharing services are subscription or membership based. Zipcar, which is one of the kind of first, the OGs in the game, I looked up what they charge in Atlanta. And so in Atlanta, Zipcar is $9 a month with driving rates from $10 an hour or $83 a day, and that's up to 180 miles a day. Then there's a mileage fee after that. 
So when you're a member, when you pay your $9 a month, that includes secondary insurance, maintenance, 24-7 roadside assistance, and free gas for all trips. So even if you needed a car every single day for a couple of hours, when you add all of this up, it might be a couple hundred dollars. And that's aggressive, like saying you need it every single day just for a few hours to do pickups and drop-offs or whatever the case may be. Now, Zipcar is just one. So if that price doesn't move, (laughs) doesn't tickle your fancy, they're just one. There's also some of the big traditional players have gotten into this business. So Enterprise has Enterprise Car Share on college campuses. Yeah, they're trying to stay alive, man. Yeah. There's also Turo, which is slightly different. With Turo, there's no membership fee every month. And you kind of have to meet with the car owner to get the keys or pay to drop them off or hope that they have like one of those remote start situations. I also don't think they do hourly rentals on Turo, but it's a way to take advantage of your local environment and see who has a car that they're not using. And you can basically borrow their car (laughs) for a couple days. Then there are more niche options like Sixt, S-I-X-T, Sixt, which is a European company that we actually used recently when we were traveling to Florida. And they tend to focus on more higher end vehicles. And more recently, they announced a focus on EV, electric vehicles. But they offer a subscription service as well. Even though it's pricey, like I didn't see anything less than $659 a month. So same price point as like buying a new car. The benefit is that you can cancel it anytime. Whereas if you lease a vehicle, it's yours for the full life of the loan. Yeah, You can also upgrade or downgrade with six. So again, more options if you need to temporarily go to a one car household. I asked my brother about six because uh, I'd never heard of it until we booked it. I I, I, I did some research. I was like, I, this is weird because I'd never heard of it. I feel like it's relatively new because uh, we'd been to uh, Tampa several times, but I'd never seen it as an option whenever we did car rentals. And I think we had a pretty good experience. Like, yeah. It was like no the car was complicated. Yeah, I don't blame them. That was like it was a BMW. Yeah, it was one of the BMWs. X, something like something. that. It was, it was a lot of buttons, a lot of bells and whistles, <laughs> a lot of whiz bang. I was confused. I didn't know what a to look at. A lot of sensors. At. Things would just yeah, start beeping. it was making like, noises. Is there something like, coming? It, there's nothing behind me. And it was like, oh, it's picking up the trash can across the street. Like it was a lot. <laughs> but again, I don't think that was a reflection of sixth. No, but it was like. Very, very affordable. And I'm not sure if that's just like them trying to break into the market, which likely is. But it worked on me because I certainly tried it (laughs) over any of the more tried and true brands for car rentals. Uh, So if you're out there and you're thinking about that, if you see that option, if you never heard of it, S-I-X-T, it's kind of like a black and orange kind Mm -hmm. of branding, I thought was really, really good. I did some digging, uh, some more digging, a lot of digging uh, to to (laughs) understand. Again, I'm trying to dig into the psyche of, I guess, of drivers. But in this case, I really wanted to understand why people would choose to start or subscribe to a car membership service. Because, like, I love this idea. Mm -hmm. Like, I've been waiting for this to come. I don't remember if you mentioned it or not, but Tesla also introduced Mm -hmm. something or mentioned that they're going to start a subscription service as well. Where she was like, hmm, okay, well, there it is. Instead of buying one, you just, yeah. again, subscribe, cancel any time, treat it just like I do YouTube TV whenever the NBA playoffs come on. But the number one reason why people opted for a car subscription service in this survey uh, was 
one, um, it's convenient. The second answer was because it came with roadside assistance, assistance coverage. The third reason was they just wanted to try new cars or features, which totally makes sense to me. Uh, the fourth was that it's easier than buying or leasing cars. I would have thought that was significantly higher. Mm-hmm. Again, just based on my recent experience, I did not enjoy spending the day there, right, to do something that is relatively simple. And But then the other reasons were like flexibility and vehicle swaps, which again, like that's the innovation. Mm-hmm. You can't really do that. If you feel like, Riding this in the winter, but then switching it up and getting a convertible or something yeah, more relaxing. Getting something bigger during or sports Jeep season. Wrangler. Yeah, you can totally do that. Season. So yeah. when you think about the use case for a subscription service, these were some of the really good reasons and insights around why other people are doing it. Uh, so yeah, just uh, some quick tidbits and something to think about if you have never heard of a subscription service or if you were on the fence and hadn't really given it any real thought. I like this because it reminds you that like cars are a depreciating asset. And so a subscription model from a, from a financing perspective makes sense. Right. But I also like these as a stopgap. So one final insight from the NPR article is that they advise that you really have to keep looking and keep shopping and pack your patience as my son's kindergarten (laughs) teacher says, got to pack your patience. But most importantly, you may actually need to expand your geographic search. Most people don't want to shop more than 25 miles away, but you may need to go further than that. And so the writer says that when he went kind of he expanded his his search to further inland and more up and down the West Coast, he was able to find dealerships that didn't haggle and that were willing to sell him a car at MSRP. But the catch was that he'd have to wait six months. And he didn't have that kind of patience. Yeah. So he ended up finding something that ended up being more than 400 miles away. And the dealer actually wanted $5,000 over MSRP, but they negotiated down to $2,000 over MSRP. And for me, in these cases, that's when a subscription service makes even more sense because you're spending the money anyway. Like you still spent $2,000 trying to cover the gap, but you could have been trying out different cars in the interim. You could have been learning what your preferences are. And so like that to me, like even if you're not looking at this as a forever solution, it's a good gap to try a bunch of different things and see what you actually need. Yeah. Would you ever get a subscription? For sure, yeah. yeah. That's why I was super excited about it. Like I I'm, am, I'm asking like for real, we, for real. Because when my had, car does die, <laughs> I don't plan on immediately getting no a new rush. one. There's no rush. There's yeah. no rush. Let's talk about, you know, what the options are. First of all, there may not even be a rush for us to jump into getting a subscription service. We have right, my car. Let's figure out what does that look like. I'm sure it'll create some inconveniences. Uh, but given our lifestyle right now, it, I don't see that being that much of a problem. And then again, there are just so many other alternatives. Like you mentioned a moped or something mm-hmm. like that. I, I have always I, wanted a moped. I, I, <laughs> listen, I have ridden a bike with Kirsten um, <laughs> over whatever that bridge That bike is was too heavy. It was on the retro bikes that was all metal. It was too heavy. I didn't have the core strength. I want no parts of it. You don't need core strength to ride a bike. (laughs) That one you did. I did. And so I don't want to do the basket was too uh, big. The seat was too narrow. (laughs) Ridiculous. But but there are options, right? There's an OPED. There's a smart car. There's subscription services. There's Uber, dude. Like there's. 
There's actually talking to your partner and figuring out a schedule since there's only one car, you know, like there are all these other things that you can do in order to ensure to your point that you are not missing out on other opportunities to really spike a debt payoff or really fund your retirement. And yes. so I am I'm, I'm all for the simple life in all aspects these days, which without question includes downsizing uh, to uh, a one car household. Uh, and and taking it from there. So yes. All right. Final thoughts. What you All got? Right. Final thoughts. So I always joke that my AAA membership has been one of my best performing investments to date, <laughs> and that's because like it reminds me that like an occasional car snafu is not something that isn't overcomable. Like I truly enjoy not having a car note, and I understand that having a new car doesn't negate you from having car troubles, right? Amen. So <laughs> having a zero in that particular column of our budget brings me more joy than almost any financial category. And I'm somebody who grew up with cars. I love cars and their convenience, but I've realized over the years that there is no shortage of cars. When I want to drive a nice car, there's nothing stopping me from renting it or just going to get one from from either a dealership or a rental place. So my final thought is just a gentle reminder that you do not have to borrow money to get a car. You can save up for one and finance very little of it, if any of it. And between public transportation, car share, bicycles, scooters, walking, homeboys, homegirls, partners, like we are just living in an age where there are so many options to get around that if you needed to be car free for a specific period to save up enough to buy a cash car, you could make do. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Obviously, there are reasons why people need cars. But what I'm saying is that you don't have to wait until it's urgent to find out the level of your dependency on these cars. The same way that you have no spend months that allow you to act out the motions of what it feels like to have a tighter budget and to get creative with the stuff you already have, you might decide a few days a month where you don't use your car might be an exercise that's worth doing. Especially if you have a gas guzzler right now that you're routinely driving long distances in, try an alternative and just see if it makes a dent in your expenses. I would also add uh, that there are obviously uh, climate change implications to wanting to downsize and there just being fewer cars on the road. Obviously, the impact that that would have if more of us embrace this uh, would have on traffic. Like. Mm-hmm. Oh, th- th- Parking, like there's so many good reasons why we should have fewer cars. Uh, we're just really just deciding to focus on this one. Uh, that's not my final thought, but it probably could have been. I will say this as my final thought. If we are so fortunate to create uh, or to have like a second print for our book or add a section, I would probably add a section that says like there are no easy buttons, but like if ever there was one, it's avoiding this. a car. Like, don't talk is, to me about anything yeah. else if you're not willing to do this thing here in order to save money, right? Like, yeah. if you can't do that, like, perhaps greatness isn't in you. Oh, right? man. Honestly, it's just that simple. <laughs> and granted, there are other ways, but I think for the people who feel like their back is against the wall and I've done everything and I can't lower or decrease any other element of my life or something yeah, like that. You can that. have a car without a car But you're still note. sitting on a, a, a car note or you still have a really nice luxury car or even like a mid-scale car. If like you're not willing to do that, then 
then I, I question how serious you are about uh, paying off debt and or building wealth. And again, I don't say that to be mean, but I do think it's one of those things that is purely voluntary mm-hmm. uh, and is likely one of the easiest and simplest ways that you can have an immediate impact on your financial well-being. Mm-hmm. All right. I have a joke before I get to my begging. I'm curious. What, oh, go ahead. <laughs> what did the traffic light say to the car? Uh, I, I don't know. Don't look. I'm changing. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular like Podcast <laughs> presented by Success. If you like what you heard, then pump your brakes and head on over to the ratings and review page and leave us a five-star rating and review. That's a twofer. You got two out for one hashtag mom jokes (laughs) we'll see y'all next week